In our culture, everything is based on success. But what is success and who to find it? That's the big question. Is it measurable? Can you obtain it? Can you dream it? Can you hold it? I'm on a quest to redefine how we view success, and I'd like to bring you on this journey. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. It is the real stories behind success. This is episode number 65 today with Perry Marshall. My name is Tony Grubmeyer, and if for a moment we remove money from the equation, what would your definition of success be? I can't wait for you to hear what today's guest is going to share in just a moment. Today's guest has been profiled as being one of the most successful internet marketing entrepreneurs. He founded the $5 million Evolution 2.0 Prize with judges from Harvard, Oxford, and MIT. The prizes aim to solve the biggest mystery in biology. Perry is the author of Industrial Ethernet, a pocket guide. And in 2015, he published Evolution 2.0, Breaking the Deadlock Between Darwin and Design. Please welcome to the show, Perry Marshall. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. And I think we're going to go some places that your listeners haven't been before. So, you know, there's a there's a famous saying in copywriting, most people don't go to interesting places or meet interesting people or do interesting things. So you need to do all of that for them. So if somebody's like driving down Interstate 80 in the middle of Wyoming and they don't think that's very interesting, well, they can they can listen to us and we'll take them somewhere. So I love it. I love it. Well, good. I asked the question in the beginning, love to get your answer and we'll kind of go up Success Mountain together from there is, what is your definition of success? I think it's having done what you were actually made to do. I think people are born with some sort of God-given blueprint or summons or invitation. And I think some people do a really bad job of achieving that. Some people do a really good job. And I think, you know, everybody, everybody probably has a, a pretty is pretty comfortable with the idea that somebody like Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa probably scored quite a bit of points on that. And, and they know that their, their uncle who was an alcoholic and, and died in, in jail probably fell a little short. Right. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't define success as necessarily making a certain amount of money or doing something like that. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like pornography. You know it when you see it, even if you can't come up with some mechanical definition of exactly what it is. You know? I, I love that. On a couple fronts, last week I was interviewing uh, John Rulin, who wrote the book, Giftology Book, and we were talking in those two names that you came up, Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa, those are the names that we used as like, you know, how to affect change in this world is like, you just have to affect change with one person and one person can change the world. Right. You know, I right. think so many gurus and authors and people try to go out and change the world instead of, you know, there's that quote, you know, just work on changing themselves first, right? Well, yeah. And, and you also find in personal relationships that you can't make the other person change, but you do. And this is really true that if you can work on whatever the broken piece in you that doesn't seem to be able to live with the partner or their problem or, or whatever it is, it has this funny way of shifting the ecosystem and 
inevitably the, the relationship will change because the ecosystem changed because you changed. And it seems harder to change yourself than the other person, but it's actually, <laughs> that actually turns out to be wrong. I just want them to change. I'm good the way I am, right? Yeah, exactly. I uh, would love to know, and I know my audience would love to know, just a little bit about, I call it the Cliff Notes version, just a little bit about where you grew up and brothers and sisters and anybody you kind of kind of grew up with that really made an impact on your life. So I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. My dad was a minister, very, very religious, conservative family. I got a brother, younger brother, and an older sister. And like, I grew up in this, it was a very unusual environment. I mean, it it wasn't your typical childhood, although I mean, you know, kind of a middle to lower middle class American life. And, and I I went to private school, went, went to a Christian school. And so we went to church all the time and, and all of that. And then I was always interested in technical things. So I went in, into engineering. I, I would say a, a couple of, like a couple big things that shaped me. Well, I'll, I'll just I'll tell you a story, and this kind of gets probably gets to the heart of, of several things. When I was twelve, my mom went bipolar. Now we didn't know what that was back then. We just knew that she at times would just be completely irrational and the arguing and fighting would start it as soon as you got home from school and it would go until bedtime and the family was just sort of bedlam for a while and it had no idea why. And my dad actually started getting pressure from his bosses at work, the pastor guys at church. It's like, Hey, you know, like, you're a pastor and your wife and your family are supposed to be under some semblance of control. Like you need to do something about this. And so he was casting about trying to anything he could do to figure this out. And and at one point he finally got my mom in front of a psychiatrist and he successfully diagnosed her as having bipolar with mild schizophrenia. And he put her on medication, which within a week, started making an obvious difference. However, the the minute that he took her to a psychiatrist, as soon as the church people found out, they said, well, we're not going to have any of that around here because that is like, that's like a secular alternative. To, that's like anti-God. We're not, we don't like that. Your wife is having sin and rebellion. And so they, they took him to the end of this meeting and they they asked him to resign, and they they didn't take away his job, but but they they significantly demoted him. Hmm. And then the next Sunday, you know, there's this announcement, literally to two thousand people, that well, because of problems with Betty and the family, Bob has stepped down from his position, and you know, and it was like we're pariahs, you know, it was like nobody really knows what's going on, and and so we had all these relatives that were like. Bob, these people are screwing you over. You need to hightail it out of there. He decided, no, I'm going to stick it out and I'm going to vindicate myself. And the guy that ran the place was a very articulate, very intimidating, very powerful guy. And my dad was just about the only guy that had the guts to stand up to him. And he, he got in the guy's face. 
And he goes, listen, my wife isn't sinful and she's not in rebellion. She has a psychiatric condition. She's being treated with medication. You can obviously see that she's improved hugely and you need to apologize to her and you need to give me my job back. And he eventually got what he was asking for. And he got a letter from the guys to my mom saying, you know, I understand what happened and I believe in you and all that kind of stuff. And he did get his job back. So I was talking about this about a year and a half ago with one of my friends, Megan Macedo. She's a longtime customer and client. And she goes, Hey, Perry, you know that story about your dad and your mom and the demotion and everything? And I go, yeah. She goes, you realize that that is a war between science and religion story, don't you? And I was like, oh, yeah, actually it is. I just never thought of it that way. And now I'm kind of giving you sort of a backdoor into something that's shaped my life in in a really huge way. And it it, it connects to the prize in my book, Evolution 2.0, and a whole bunch of things. I created a technology prize about two years ago called the Evolution 2.0 Prize. And it is a search for the question, where did the information in biology come from? You know, we all have DNA. It's digital code. It's it's not all that different from computer code, actually. And nobody knows where it came from. I mean, if you, if you go dig into all the science books and everything, and you go, well, how did life get started on Earth? Nobody knows. And mostly religious people and atheists just sort of fight about it, and they kind of have their well-known, obvious positions on it. And what I realized was, hey, you know what? this is a really important philosophical problem. And this really is an important religious question, but it's also a technological problem. It's also a scientific question. And I'm an electrical engineer by education. And I was inspired by Peter Diamandis who started the X prize about 20 years ago. And within a few years, he had gotten a team of people to build us a spaceship funded and created by private industry that could go into orbit like the space shuttle and come back. And they had done it for $25 million and they, and they ended up getting a $10 million prize for it. And the, the way this started was, as I said, me and my brother are both pastor's kids and my, I, I went into business and engineering and my brother went into ministry and he started being a missionary in China And four years later, he was almost an atheist. He had basically just like discarded the whole entire thing. And so I went to see him in China and I was still a Christian. And we had been discussing this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for now two or three years as he's been trying to sort all this out. And I get there and I was like, oh, he's already thrown this thing out the window. Like I didn't realize how far along he was with us. And so we were, we were starting to have another argument about this. And I said to him, I said, Brian, I said, look at the hand at the end of your arm. I said, this is a nice piece of engineering. And I'm an engineer. Like, I should know. 
And I said, you don't think this is an accumulation of random accidents, do you? And he goes, hold on. And he, he just pushes back with this whole explanation. It's like, you don't need God. You don't need a designer. You don't need any of that. All you need is the blind, purposeless evolutionary process, and you'll get a hand. And I listened to that, and I thought, okay, if that's true, there's something about engineering that I must not know, because they never talked about that in engineering school ever. But I know a whole bunch of biologists would agree with him. So maybe they're right. Like, what's the truth? And I went down the rabbit hole. And you know, one of the th- maybe most important things you could know about me is that I want to get to the bottom of things. I'm not content with a surface level answer. Like, I really want to know. And so, man, I had no idea. Like, I decided I'm going to stop arguing with Brian. We're, we're already bruising up our relationship to a degree just by banging away at the, with this question. I'm going to stop. I'm going to go. When I get home from China, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. And I had no idea how fascinating that rabbit hole would, would be. It was way more interesting than anything all these two sides were arguing about. And so, anyway, I guess long answer to a short question. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I have four religious kind of upbringings. I was born into a Jewish household, parents divorced. I lived with my dad, Catholic, had some trouble in my teens, moved in with my business partner, who today is my business partner for the past 18 years. I moved in with his family. We grew up in the same neighborhood, Christian. Okay. And then I ended up marrying a Mormon. Who? Well, that's a stir fry. That was, no. So we just put it in a big old giant Vitamix blender and hit puree. And I just come to believe, right? Like there's a lot out there I don't know, but I know I'm not an accident. Neither are you. That's at least my belief system, right? And that's, that's kind of where I live and start from every morning is there's got to be something bigger. So I'm kind of like on the pursuit, just in my interesting conversation with you so far, I, I go and, I, and I'm thinking of that famous actor who decided to go run a television show, Morgan Freeman, to try to go out and, and figure out, you know, God, right? And if there yeah. is God, and why do you believe what you believe? So you're, I'm, I'm right in the fascinated, uh, you have me right now in your hand, and you, I'm a soft little bird, and you can make me fly or you can crush me. So I'm up for knowledge. Well... Brian and I had been arguing about theological and philosophical questions now for probably two and a half years and going at it pretty hard. And we both already had a lot of experience. Like he had and has a master's degree in theology from a conservative theological seminary. And believe me, you have not had a theological debate like this until you've had it with one of those guys. That's a whole different animal than like some guy on the internet, okay? And and so I got to a point where I was like, you know what? Theology is too squishy. There are too many ways to interpret a verse or a word or a passage or something like that. That's it's too squishy for me. I'm going to let engineering engineering principles ought to be able to tell me can random accidents accumulated over time give you a hand or not? Well, the answer is an emphatic, resounding no. Okay? And in fact, there isn't even any, anything to debate about. 
okay? You can't generate computer code with random number generators, okay? It doesn't work. But the really simplistic answer to the question might have made me a creationist. But see, what I found was way, way deeper than that and way more subtle than that. Because so I went down this rabbit hole about creation evolution and I really quickly figured out, dude, you're not going to get anywhere listening to the typical arguments that typical people have about this. You actually have to go into the scientific literature and you have to really get down to really bedrock principles. And, and so what, what I found was cells re-engineer themselves. And we all sort of know this, but so let me, let me take something that everybody's familiar with. So everybody's been to the doctor and you had strep or something and she gives you antibiotics and she, and she says, finish the bottle all the way down, right? Like if you don't finish this thing, them buggers are going to come back. Don't, with a Don't stop on day four when you're feeling better. Got to get to day right. five. <laughs> right. You got to get to day seven or 10 or 14 yep. or whatever, right? Because if you, if you don't kill those suckers dead and then that infection comes back, we're going to have a real problem on our hands because then this antibiotic won't work. And then we have to like go to the nuclear weapons cabinet, right? Well, here's, here's why that's true. Okay. And this is, this is so fascinating. When you're, we got a strep germ swimming around in your body and you're taking antibiotics, that guy is going, dang, this is killing me. You know, if I don't get rid of this poison, I'm going to be dead. And it will go around and it will look for another cell that has a pump. It'd be like, I need a pump. Does anybody have a pump? Now, cells have this thing. Biologists call it a plasmid, but I call it a Dropbox folder. <laughs> okay. And most cells have these. And it's a, it's a container for sharing, file sharing, DNA. It's like, hey, I got an extra copy of my DNA here. Anybody want some? And it will go around and it'll look for another cell that has code for a pump. And it'll find one. It's like, okay, so here's some code. Snip it out. Insert it into my DNA. Read the code. Build a pump. Pump the poison out. Now I'm going to update my Dropbox folder and I'm going to share all my strep friends. I'm going to give away the new code. I'm going to divide off daughter bacteria that have pumps and now all of a sudden everybody's immune to this antibiotic and then we can like chomp on this guy and kill him and that can happen in 30 minutes okay it's not random it's not accidental and and what i just described to you is like the tip of the tip of the iceberg of how evolution actually works it, it's not random copying errors it's nothing like that it is a calculated response to an external condition based on hundreds of inputs. In fact, I would make an analogy to a cell that's in trouble is kind of like an entrepreneur that's in trouble. Hey, like, hey, man, it's the 26th and payroll's on the 31st. And like, we ain't going to meet payroll at our current rate. So what are we going to do? 
are we going to have a fire sale or are we going to go out in front of the restaurant with one of those guys in a costume and a big sign or are we going to like merge with some other company or are we going to, are we going to sell out or are we going to go back to our existing customers and like, what are we going to do? Right. And, and the, the fact is, is you don't usually know which one of these 10 things is going to work, but you try 10 things and one of them works. And many times the result of that crisis will be, you have some totally new thing that you didn't used to do before you didn't used to have before. All biology and all of nature is like this, okay? And this is why organisms evolve. And so evolution is actually the most impressive feat of engineering that you've ever seen in your life. And and all all the creation versus evolution people are completely missing the point, okay? Evolution, yes. Is it accidental? No. Is it purposeless? No. So actually, the world is more purposeful than most people ever even imagined. And that's that's evolution 2.0. And I, I had no idea how fascinating this was going to be. I couldn't have imagined that I would be geeking out about this. But here we are. When you got back on your plane to fly home with that conversation you had with your brother... Do you remember what your go-to was prior to getting on that plane? Did you download some books? Did you listen to, you know, podcasts? What was your kind of like your flight home? Because that's not a short flight. So you get stuck in well, your head for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well, first of all, I didn't, I didn't have anything on the flight. This was 2004. And, and I don't think the Kindle was around yet. And so mostly on the flight home, I was just scared. It was like, wow, what if by next Thanksgiving, I'm an atheist and Brian's an atheist and we're just going to sit during Thanksgiving dinner and like grimace at all of the other gullible people that are praying to their invisible friend, you know? Okay. That's, I was kind of scared, but I was willing to go there if the science actually said that. Here's where I went to. I remembered this paper I wrote in college, and I'm not going to go into what it was because it's too kind of geeky, but basically I had to take this complicated system in an engineering class and I had to figure out how it worked. And when I started, it was a complete mystery to me. It was like, I had like, I had this basic idea of how it worked, but I didn't understand why. And like, we've all had this in different departments of our life. Like why, on God's green earth, does this behave that way? And so in that project, I spent about two months and I took the whole thing apart. I literally got the whole entire thing down to, okay, you have to start with force equals mass times acceleration. Like I had to literally start with Newton's law and then I worked my way up and I figured it all out. I got an A on the paper. I did it correctly. I understood it. And it was this really satisfying I had to go to bedrock and I said, okay, I said, I know what that felt like. And I have to get this evolution question where it feels exactly the same way. Cause if the biologists are right, there's a way to completely understand what they're saying. And there's not going to be any disagreement between engineering and biology because they all run on the same set of scientific principles. And so I knew what it would feel like when I got to the bottom of the swamp, you could say. 
or like touched the bottom of the swimming pool. And so I just, I was like, okay, this is what I'm looking for. Let's go. And I just started reading. And here's another thing. I think this is really important. I remember going, okay, I think that this is all designed. So is it good enough for me to just read the intelligent design books and like figure out their position or do I have to completely, totally understand the no design position? And I realized, I remember like it was kind of depressing. It was like, no, Perry, you have to understand the other side so well that you could argue it for them and win against somebody on the design side. Like you have to be able to explain your, like if you're a Republican, it's not good enough to just know the Republican playbook. You have to be able to explain the Democrat position and like, why are you voting for Bernie Sanders or why are you voting for Hillary? And like, I have to say it back to them. So what I understand is the reason you like Bernie is because, and by the time I'm done, they're nodding. They're like, yes, yes, that's exactly right. And most people could never do that. Right. And I was like, wow, this is going to be a lot of work. And so I, the whole spectrum, I mean, the far left, the far right, everything in between on this scientific question, I went as far as I knew how to go. Back in 2004, and now we got, wow, I can't even believe we're coming up on 2020. It, it just seems like a snap of, uh, when did you get started really on the internet? I got started on the internet in 97. I got fired from a sales job. No. Back up, back up. I got laid off from my engineering job. I was in acoustics and my wife was three months pregnant. Couldn't find an engineering job without moving away. I took a sales job, which was easier to get. Big surprise. <laughs> right? But <laughs> you need somebody to sell something every day. We got to find the next sales guy. That's right. So that's what that was. And I worked there for two years and I just like, I banged through the pinball machine violently and I failed gloriously and our credit cards spiraled out of control and, and I got really skinny commission checks. And after two years of trying and trying and trying, they finally just shot me in the head and put me out of my misery. And I got this other job and the other job, it was this tiny little engineering company and they had a website and this was in 97 before most people were really using the web, but engineers were, at least at work, they were. And so engineers would research their purchases of this highly technical stuff. And we had a website and about six months before that, I had bought a Dan Kennedy course and subscribed to his newsletter. And I was, I was really, really intrigued by direct marketing, especially because my sales career was like in flames, okay? I was reading with the learning and the aptitude of a desperate, like, if I don't find something, I was, I was a strep germ and the antibiotics were killing me. Yeah, definitely. And if I don't find a pump to pump this poison out. With I'm, a pregnant wife too, that's the problem too, right? Well, now, now, she, now she had the baby and the baby was a year and a half old, okay? And just before I got fired from this job, I went, I went to a community college and I applied for teaching night school at the community college. And I would, I would literally have two jobs 
right? I would probably leave the house at seven in the morning and come home at 11. I would never see my daughter, but it would keep us from going bankrupt. Okay. You know, I get fired from this job. I take this new job. The, the college didn't offer me the job, by the way. And, and now we're on the internet and I'm reading these newsletters and I'm going, dang, a web page is just like a direct mail sales letter. It's the same thing. It's just a different kind of a piece of paper. Okay. So like nobody was really saying this then in 97, 98, but I saw it and it was like, okay, so if I read all these Dan Kennedy newsletters and I take all of these headlines and bullets and guarantees and lead generation and information marketing, I can generate leads with us. Like I can make a little PDF cheat sheet on some technology and, and I can give it away in exchange for an email address. And then I have an engineer that'll talk to me about how to solve his engineering problem. And that's, that's how I got into online marketing. Oh, and my first commission check at that job was the biggest paycheck I'd ever gotten. It wasn't like extraordinarily large, but it was bigger. You know, I was, I was used to making like $3,000 a month and I probably made 4,500. It was like, wow, honey, we're not going to go into foreclosure. Well, you know I mean, what? I still get like hives, you know. No, I'm no. I'm, there's two things that came up, Perry. For number one, researching you a little bit earlier, Dan Kennedy, author of the Ultimate Marketing Plan, says about you: if you don't know who Perry Marshall is, it's unforgivable. Go on just a little bit. Talk about Michael Gerber, the author of the E Myth. Perry Marshall is about to blow your mind, and I'm thinking, well, you've done both of those things already. You blew my mind, and you're unbelievable. So what I want to do is take a quick break. I got to go to the bathroom, and then we'll be right back on the Be Fulfilled Show. Are you suffering from marketing dysfunction? Are you not able to perform online as well as you could when you were younger? Unable to keep up with the intimate demands of buying product, running offers, and shipping items to your customers? Say hello to Ship Offers. Clinically proven to enhance the growth and longevity of your business. Get some today at shipoffers.com. It is Tony Grebmeyer, and we are back on the Be Fulfilled podcast show talking to the very talented, multifaceted, from an author, engineer, copywriter. We're going to get into a lot of that great stuff today, but all around just a great human being, Perry Marshall. Welcome back. It's great to be here. I love the questions you're asking. A couple of things that come to mind is anybody who is listening to this audio is missing out on the video. And behind Perry is a library of books. I was going to save this question to just a few minutes down the road when we got in the fulfillment round, but I wanted to ask this question now. And then we'll hopefully pique everybody's interest to make sure they listen to that. If you had to pick just one book and it wasn't one of yours, what book would you choose <laughs> in your library? Well, it, it, it would be the Bible, you know, and, and let me try to give you a, a reason why. If you read the Cain and Abel story, for example, you know, Cain kills Abel because God likes Abel sacrifice better. You know, it's like this little story. It's like a paragraph, if even, right? It's, it's just this little blurb. But it has this funny way of describing every blood match in the history of the world and raising all these questions. And it's like a good preacher could like 
preach three sermons on that one story and not really run out of things to say. And that is a mark of great literature. And the Bible certainly isn't the only piece of literature like that, but it's like the most hyperlinked book in the world. So like if you listen to a good example would be, be Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. He's got a great podcast. And if you listen to him talk about, like he could talk about anything or anybody, like even if you're a religious person and you've heard all the stories about David and Goliath or Joseph or anything, if you listen to him and he talks about the Midrash or the Talmud or something like that, he'll always give you an angle that you have never considered before because all these stories raise way more questions than answers. And what I think this actually tells you is that great books, including the Bible are not answer books. They're question books. And if there's anything that irritates intelligent people It's when people try to take these texts and turn them into answer books. And they they try to like hide all the questions in a closet. And that's a real disservice to everybody, including the text. And there is nothing in the world that's more powerful than a good question. And a good question will burn a hole in your brain for decades. Kind of like the question, would you say with you and your brother? Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you get a hand without designing one? How do you get a code without designing one? That's what the prize is. The prize question is really simple. $5 million prize. How do you get a code without designing one? Nobody knows. Well, the creationists assume that nobody's ever going to answer that question. God did it. Like that settles it. Let's go out to lunch. Well, up to a point, I could be okay with that. But I'm an engineer. And engineers want to know how things work. And what if there is a scientific answer to that question? Well, if there is one, then when somebody discovers it, it will be as big of a discovery as the transistor or equals MC squared. It would be huge. And it would totally change human technology to an unrecognizable level. Well, can anybody afford to assume that that problem isn't solvable? But then on the other side, nobody gets to say, well, there was this warm pond and a lucky lightning strike and a happy chemical accident. And well, you know, see, that's not a scientific answer either, right? And so what you have with like the creation evolution debate is the same thing you have with most polarized debates is you got the people on the left and the people on the right, and they're throwing rocks at each other over the heads of everybody else. And they're drowning out all other conversation. And that is the problem because they're both, both sides are terrified of the questions that they don't know the answers to. And, and they actually, they shouldn't be. You brought up some really good things. My brain's kind of going crazy. I'm thinking, better question. Okay, so I got to work through that. But then I'm thinking to myself, if you were scrolling through Facebook and there was only two, two questions that got brought up, right? So it's like politics or religion, 
What would you dive into first? Oh, between politics and religion? Yep. Well, I don't like politics, frankly. <laughs> I like, you know, there's a song by the police called Spirits in the Material World. Yes. And it goes, it starts out, there is no political solution to a toppled evolution. I've no faith in constitution. There is no bloody revolution or, or something like that, right? Nice job. I'll call Sting uh, and tell him you're pretty close if he ever needs a backup. He's got you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you should hear me play bass. And I think that, okay, if, if you read Democracy in America by Alexis de Tocqueville, it is one of the best books ever written. It's absolutely fascinating. So here's a story behind this book. So it's 50 years after the American Revolution. It's the early 1800s. And the aristocracy in Europe is scared to death. They're like, what is going on over there? And all the Europeans are talking about America and like democracy and elections and all this kind of stuff. And the Kings and Queens are scared to death. So the French send over the smartest guy they got, Alexis de Tocqueville. And they said, go to the United States and figure out what makes the place tick and come back and tell us. And that is what democracy in America is. And it was written in 1835. And if you read it now, it's like, dang, if he isn't spot on about Americans, like Americans have not changed very much in 180 years. <laughs> okay. We're still the same cantankerous people that we ever were. And at the beginning of the book, like, oh, this guy is such a genius. He breaks things down in such clear, clean lines. It's just I'm envious of his ability to, 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 to look at things. And, and he says, okay, so what does make America tick? He says, the United States is based on a tension between two ideas. And idea number one is equality. And idea number two is individualism. And he coined the term individualism. He invented that word to describe Americans. They're individualistic. Like they didn't have that word before us. And he says, so it, it works like this. Everybody's equal. We believe these things to be self-evident, that all men are endowed with their creator by certain inalienable rights and life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, equality, like everybody. They all got an equal shot. They all got equal rights. They can all vote. Nobody's better than anybody else. But guess what? You could climb to the top of the heap. And that's the, that's the individualism part, man. Like, go for it, right? You want to get rich? Get rich. You know, you want to be an author? Be an author. You want to be a musician? Be a musician. Like, whatever makes your freak flag fly, dude. Like, just go for it, right? And, and he says, America is defined by these two things. And they, it's like they pull against each other like, like a two-man saw, okay? And, and he says, okay, where did this idea of equality come from anyway? And he goes, well, I'll tell you where it came from. He says, it comes from the New Testament. And St. Paul said, 
In Christ, there's either neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, all are equal in Christ Jesus. He says, before that, nobody ever said that. In fact, the ancient people, Greece, Rome, China, India, wherever you want to go, they considered it pretty much self-evident that everybody is very unequal, right? You got slaves and you got kings and you got conquerors and you got armies and you got, what do you do come springtime? When it comes springtime, you get your chariot, go to the village down the road and you burn it down. You take all their stuff, man. Like that's like, that's how the world works. And so Tocqueville says, well, you know, Christianity produced this idea of equality. It says, no, everybody's equal. In the eyes of God, from the, the perspective of the kingdom of heaven, the emperor and the slave girl are on the same plane, okay? Well, Christianity accepted that idea and started working with it. And you, you fast forward two or three or 400 years, and they have mostly eradicated slavery, particularly after the Roman Empire had fallen. And Tocqueville says, you know, this idea of equality started going and it just kind of started spreading around and people started wrestling with it. He says, and by the time you get to the year 1100, almost every major event, he says, not almost every major event created more equality, whether it was intended to or not. So the Magna Carta, which said that kings are equally under the law the invention of the gun, the invention of the horseshoe, the invention of the telegraph, the invention of, of the post office, you know, or, or eyeglasses or windmills or anything. All of these things just serve to make humans more equal and more equal. And he goes, okay, so here we are in 1835. We have the world's first country based on the idea of equality. They've written it in their constitution. And here's what Tocqueville says. He says, I think this equality idea is unstoppable. It's a juggernaut. Nobody can stop this idea. It's going to roll through civilization, whether anybody wants it to or not, it's going to envelop the whole entire world. And he was right. He was absolutely right. And you can, in your mind, you can read him and you can fast forward. They didn't have radio. They didn't have television. They didn't have internet. They didn't have all these, they didn't have voting, voting booths with dimpled chads, but he was right. And, and, and so you asked me, well, you know, would you go down politics or religions? Like, well, our whole political system is based on a foundation that came from a religious idea. And so in, and it's like literally just about the most powerful idea in the world is is equality. And, And let me remind you is that there isn't any yardstick or instrument or financial device, or anything that you could use to prove equality. Anything that you could measure, we're all unequal. But we have this distinctly spiritual religious idea that says, no, 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 no. Black, white, male, no. And you don't cross that line, no. And like you try to, nowadays, like if you try to violate the equality thing, like you will have protesters in front of your house. And they're not even religious people. And so I am just, I'm insanely interested in incredibly powerful ideas. 
And, and like, that is what I'm interested in. And, you know, if I, you give me a choice, like, well, Perry, you know, you could like fix the world in 10 seconds with some political system and it'll improve things a lot. Or you could plant an idea in the soil of the world and, and it would grow for a thousand years. I'll take door B. I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, that's a longer road. That's a harder road. But ultimately, I just think it helps more people. I love it. Thank you. I've been very open to a lot of what all my guests have to say. And I didn't close my mind today to anything. I just, I went on a journey with you and I just want to say thank you. It was fun. What I want to do is get the, the listeners will get connected to you at perrymarshall.com. And, and what I want to do is bring you into the fulfillment round give you a chance to let me throw some questions. I don't know necessarily if they're the $5 million Evolution 2.0 prize questions. However, it's a way for people who follow you, follow me, get to know you a little bit better, but learn kind of more of maybe the silly side of Perry Marshall instead of the uh, <laughs> got to have to have it all just right. Let me, if not, let me go show you a theory. So if you don't mind, all I need you to say is I am ready. I'm ready. All right. It's going to be interesting. So here we go. If you could have lunch with either Newton or Einstein, who would you choose and why? Ooh, well, that's hard. Let's go with Newton. Why? Because he lived a longer time ago in a world more different than the world I live in now. And man, that guy saw far. I mean, most scientific theories get proven wrong. <laughs> like right. most, so, right. Newton, I'm going to throw one more. Da Vinci. Yeah. Oh, Da Vinci. Oh yeah. I, okay. I'd pick Da Vinci. I feel like I understand Newton a lot better than I understand Da Vinci. I went to the Da Vinci museum in Milan like six months ago. It was fantastic. So yeah, let's go with Da Vinci now. Good. All right. Your, Go-to vice when you just need a break or just just to relax for a few minutes. You have a vice. You have something that, like for me, it used to be drinking and drugs, and then I got rid of those. So uh, I had to, does it have to be a vice? Huh? <laughs> does it have to be a vice? Like you can you can claim it as whatever you'd like. Well, okay, it's going into my man cave and cranking up the stereo. I've been building audio equipment since I was 13 and like, I always have a project going. And so I'm sure, okay, there's no question that, okay, the door is shut and dad is in that room and he's got music. I'm sure that's very alienating. My children will probably be in counseling over this <laughs> and, you know, oh yeah, I know your father neglected you while he was listening to Donald Fagan on his stereo. So yeah, I'll probably have to subsidize some of those therapy sessions. I like it. 1997. I'm going to go way back. I'd only been on the internet a year at that time. So I launched in 96 online. Mm -hmm. So I want to know out of these four, if any of them, ring a bell to how you connected back in 1997 prodigy CompuServe, earthlink or aol i was an aol member briefly and and before that i i had an email address from a bulletin board service 
that was run by a guy who lived two blocks from my house. And I would insert the floppy drive into my 286 <laughs> and dial up on this little screen. And then I would type some command and then I could send emails. And yeah. It reminds man. me of war games, right? With Matthew Broderick when he's sitting there putting the, she's like, what is this? I'm like, it's, it's, it's how you connect. You want to play a game? You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, man. All right. I got two more good questions coming your way. You're back in high school, but not as a student. Now as a professor, you get to teach any class that isn't currently in high school. What do you, what do you think's lacking in our education system now? If you had to go back to high school and teach a class. If I could teach any class. Yeah. Any class. Oh, well, it would be like Perry Marshall's philosophical scientific laboratory of stir fried everything. It would be, it would be like, I, I took an honors class when I was in, and we would just like discuss all these deep questions. And yeah, I would teach a class like that. Like it'd have to be a class where, well, everything's allowed. And there like, isn't anything that's off limits. And, oh, yeah, we're going to mash. We're going to go mashing through the tulips every now and then, too. Like, that's for sure. No walking on eggshells. So I, I don't Yeah, you, I don't know that that exists. Like, I, I, I would probably be thrown out of most universities on my ear. <laughs> you talked a little bit about the beginning of our conversation about going deep, right? Instead yeah. of just surface kind of stuff where so many conversations, I don't know, begin and end. I'm, I'm a believer that the deeper I can go, the faster I can go, the more connected we'll be. I'm not a, let me strike some matches and see if you ignite. I'm like, I'll light the whole thing on fire. Remember as a kid, you could rip it off and you could light the whole thing. And if that doesn't work for us, well, I tried. I'm going to move on to the next matchbook and we'll go from there. Do, yeah. do you relate to that? Oh, absolutely. So if I go to a party... I hate small talk. There is nothing worse, you know, especially if you're like in some hallway and there's just all these like, and Oh, I hate that. No. If I go to a party, I'm going to be sitting in a corner with like two other people having a philosophical conversation until one 30 in the morning. And we'll go as deep as I possibly can. That, and that is my idea of a good time. When, when, when I do in my business, I do these things called city tours. And if I possibly, so like we'll do a workshop from eight to five and then we'll go out for dinner. And if, if schedule possibly permits, we'll stay out until the bar shut down. I shut down a bar at two o'clock in the morning in Dublin, you know, last you know, and then and then everybody went out of the bar and then stood in a circle under the streetlight until three o'clock in the morning. It's like, yeah, like that's that's how it should be. All right. If you and I were to go on a vacation together and I was like, you know, Perry, you pick. I got my bags packed. Where would you take me? I haven't gone bike riding through Mongolia yet. There's this book. And it's called, well, I don't remember the name of it, but it's, it's by Rebecca Warnbrun. And it's this lady, she, she had a job and she was successful and she realized she was getting kind of bored and stale. She goes to a bike shop 
And she says to the guy, if you were going to ride your bike through Mongolia, which bike would you buy? And he goes, that one. She goes, I'll take it. And she buys this bike. She has it shipped to Northern Siberia. She flies to Northern Siberia and a woman all by herself rides through Mongolia, through China, through Vietnam and writes a book about it. And I read that book a a few years ago. I was like, dang, well, I want to do something like that. That would be awesome. Haven't done it yet. I'm going to look on my Peloton bike tomorrow morning and see if there's a course that I can ride through Mongolia. I'm going to, I'm going to try that. So I, I definitely thank you very much for just a very entertaining, very in-depth kind of uh, time for me to spend with you today. I really, really appreciate it. The interview wouldn't be possible without Dr. Jeremy Wise, who got us connected. So I want to say hello to him and say thank you very much for your time today. And I really, really appreciate you. And we'll get all the resources over at TonyGrubmeyer.com with all of your information. And the the last question out of the fulfillment round, this is up to you. If you had to write the copy for your tombstone... And you had one line in between the day you were born and the day you die. It's your dash. What would that look like for you? I, I would steal the line from a song by Bob Bennett. And it's day by day, the integration of the concrete and the spiritual. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Perry. Appreciate thank you, you, Tony. This has been a blast. I love it. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I hope you come back and we get to do this all over again on another date and then we get to keep, keep our conversation going. That is Perry Marshall. My name is Tony Grabmeyer. Until next time, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, choose to make today the absolute best day of your life. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the architect of your journey in this game we call life? Take the next step now at drainersanddrivers.com and download my free mini course designed to give you more clarity and freedom in your day. It might just change your life forever. 